All right, friends, welcome to the More to Story podcast. I am live on a Friday afternoon with a couple of updates. I'm excited to share with you some various things that are happening in multiple denominations um, that I've been serving, people that I've had an opportunity to engage here through the Ministry of Wesley Biblical Seminary. And in general, my podcast is one that is trying to connect to people in the kind of pan-Wesleyan community, those people who see kind of their theological grandfather or father, so to speak, in church history being John Wesley and his theology. And so I was raised in one of those traditions. I serve in those traditions. I serve at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and we are a non-denominational school that serves dozens of denominations and non-denominational situations as well. So we're really excited to be able to have opportunity to be engaged in those conversations. And then we've brought some of those to you. And it's been interesting as people have shared with me to particularly as related to the summer series that I did, where we listen to progressive and conservative visions from both sides of three denominations. And so I just wanted to give a little bit of an update with where some things are within the Global Methodist Church, the Church of Nazarene, the Salvation Army, the Wesleyan Church, um, and maybe even some of the smaller denominations as well, if I have time. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to do that. But of course, you know, that if you listen to this podcast regularly, it's brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we're developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we are doing that through a variety of programs from bachelor's, master's, doctoral degrees, and a course of study that's available now for the Global Methodist Church. You might not believe me, but on this day, September 29th, we have, we have more than 350 course of study students who signed up to be a part of our program with the Global Methodist Church, and we're serving them now. Some of my preaching students who are in my class who are doing a course of study have even started listening to my podcast, so welcome to my preaching students. Glad to have you here, and a host of other programs as well. So anyways, Wesley Biblical Seminary is a sponsor of this podcast, as is WPO Development. Uh, their team, Keith Waters and, and Terry Israel, they do an excellent job with helping people come along. They come alongside of them, helping them develop strategic plans, mission planning studies, and lead capital campaigns. And they've led more than 250 organizations through capital campaigns. And I'm thinking particularly of people like those in global Methodist churches right now, particularly those who are having new church plants as you're trying to figure out like what, who are we as an organization? Where are we going? Also. Um, how do we get to a building? Well, that's a, a group like WPO Development would be a great place for you to start. So I encourage you to check out the show notes in the podcast version of this that will be on YouTube and then on the audio podcast as well. And also, I just want to make sure people know there are a lot of great things happening in this online community that's been developing through more to the story ministries. Thanks to everybody who signed up for my email list. If you sign up for my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com, you will get a free resource called Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. And it's a delight to see people accessing that on a regular basis. And it's kind of a prelude to preparing a sermon. It's the exegetical piece that you need to do to get yourself ready to be able to preach or teach create creatively and to do that in a deep way. And I'll, I'll share about some of the other resources I have a little bit later on here. But I want to make sure we get into some of this content today to be able to just talk about some things that are happening in the broad movement of Wesleyanism and the various denominations that are connected um, to not just Wesley Biblical Seminary, but theologically connected to this great history where I, I like to think of it as John Wesley says, the grand deposit of Methodism is the doctrine of entire sanctification. And this 
understanding that God's grace is so active in the world that he's calling us to be in a relationship of perfect love with him so that every aspect of our being can be sanctified through and through, that we're never put in a place where we have to be pessimistic about sin's influence in our life. But as John Wesley says in his sermon, the scripture way of salvation, that love can exclude sin, that it can do that, that we want to be able to see the work of the Holy Spirit, that which comes ahead of us in God's provenient grace, leading us to a new relationship with God in the first place by the power of the Spirit with his son, Jesus, and then leading us to a place of experiencing sanctifying grace in this life. So that that's kind of, I think, what ties these various denominations together. And what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to share my screen to give you an update of few of these, a few of these things that are happening. So for instance, um, just excited to share about the Global Methodist Church. Now, the, the Global Methodist Church, some of you will know, is one that's just come into existence. And um, oh, and as they have, they what they've done is like it's not just trying to be a response or reaction to uh, another form of Methodism, like what Methodism has united Methodism. And I've had the, the real privilege over the last couple of months to preach at several global Methodist churches. I attend a global Methodist church, and I have because I've transferred my credentials to the Global Methodist Church. So I'm an elder in the Global Methodist Church, but this is just our website. It doesn't actually have the news, but I wanna share, I just checked in today. I knew these numbers were high, but Angela Pleasance, who leads kind of like some of the educational sides and the clergy credentialing of the denomination has shared with me that they have accepted now, they have 3,850 pastors who have now uh, who are part of the Global Methodist Church, 3,850 and 3,300 churches, 3,300 churches. Isn't that wild? I mean, what a blessing for them to be in this place, to be able to lead the church in this way. Now, some people have asked this, and I hope to be able maybe have some of the leadership of the Global Methodist Church continuing to come on my podcast. Um, there's more pastors than there are churches. And I'm not quite sure I'll explain that. I would guess that maybe there are some associates and youth pastors and then retired clergy who aren't serving churches at this point, or people like me and Dr. Matt Ayers, who's the president of our institution, who aren't serving churches at this point. I will say that if you're interested in serving this, I would encourage you to take a look at the Global Methodist Church. Um, we at Wesley Biblical Seminary, because we're in the business of developing trusted leaders for faithful churches, we are often hearing from churches that have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church who are looking for people who are looking for pastors. And if you just go to the wbs.edu website, you'll see an employment tab. And we've posted several of these openings. And I'll tell you, there are some great churches out there, some who are looking for seminary students. Um, they're like, I won't say the number, but they have good salaries, parsonages, and they're willing to have seminary students. So if you are considering the opportunity of serving a global Methodist church, I can't say like I'm not an official of the church. Like I'm not working for the denomination, but I would suggest there are some great opportunities out there. And our website at WBS.eu is a great place to start. Now, I want to give you another update of some things that are happening in the global Methodist church that are challenging, a way that you can pray for them. Several churches have not received the supermajority that they need to be able to disaffiliate, or some don't have the money to pay the cost of disaffiliation. Now, that's some significant details, and I can encourage you to look at some other podcasts or resources as they get into the weeds of their book of discipline and how all that works. But 
there, for instance, there was a, a church just in our area that's very connected, the Wesley Biblical Seminary, Starkville United Methodist Church. They needed 67% to be able to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. Sadly, I believe, I don't know the exact number, but it was 65 point something percent. So just a handful of votes away from actually being able to disaffiliate. Now imagine what this is like. This is uh, you know multiple hundreds of people, probably I would guess at least a 500 uh, member congregation, if not um, in attendance, if not closer to a thousand. Um, our friend Dr. Jim Genesee, who's a graduate of this institution, served at that church. But imagine what that's like. 65% of the church wanted to leave, wanted to disaffiliate, and they couldn't. Now, that's just based upon the rules of the denomination. And sadly, there have been situations where there have been people who haven't attended the church, who are church members, who are able to vote, and they come in. Now, I'm not sure what actually happened at Starkville. I just know it's probably a very disappointing situation for churches like Starkville, like Statesboro, Georgia, like St. Matthew's, which is a church here in um, Madison County, close to where I am. And it can be a very disappointing moment. Now, the, like, here's what I want, want to add. Actually, as I've heard, now I don't know about how this will work out for Starkville, but the two other churches I've mentioned, um, the ones that I've had communication with, they actually are in a beautiful moment. Now, now not the actual church, the group who's broken off. Uh, Statesboro, Georgia, for instance, uh, they had their vote the week before um, Easter, so they had a, their first service, probably the 65% or so that voted. Many of them went and started in a new community, a new Methodist community, Wesleyan community, and they had 300 people at worship on Easter Sunday, and they just found a room that they could be in for that day, and they're that, that church is looking for a pastor at this point, and we're hearing from many churches that are like this. Um, this Sunday, I'll be preaching at church. Now, I hope I have the name right. I think it's New Beginnings Madison Church. I'm not sure. It's maybe New Beginnings Methodist Church, but they're, they, this is a group. It was a similar percentage. I think they had somewhere in the 60s, but they didn't have the 67% to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church, from the St. Matthew's Church in this area, in the greater Jackson area. So they have started a new church during their third Sunday. I'm going to preach at that for that congregation as they're getting themselves together. And I'll say it's been interesting. Um, with, as I've interacted with these congregations, I try to lead compassionately. I try to come into a situation where I'm just uh, speaking them to them in a way that just indicates the fact that I know that this is a difficult time. But it's interesting, as I've heard from these people, many times they say, well, you're right, but actually, it's been awesome. <laughs> not, not, not just a separation, but the vibrancy and the the presence of the Holy Spirit in these communities has been amazing. So I I actually have a sense that some of these congregations I've heard the same thing about Statesboro, Georgia. My um my father in law went and preached there. Uh, he's a presiding elder in, for the D Dublin area in the South Georgia Conference. Um, they are saying like. We needed this. This is exactly who we need to be. And there's the way that maybe maybe if your church voted 70%, well, you'd still have 30% there that want to leave and maybe it'd be a challenge. Well, at this point, this is a vibrant moment for some of these communities. And I'm excited for these new expressions. Now, it's going to be hard. They're going to have to figure out how they work together, how they're organized. Uh, they're going to figure out who's going to preach. Um, but I'm hopeful that this will develop some muscles spiritual muscles, administrative muscles, leadership muscles in the life of these congregations 
so that they will be healthy, strong communities. Now, I don't know if they will all go to become global Methodists or not. Um, I'll just report general. I've talked to my friends in the Association of Independent Methodists and Congregational Methodists and Evangelical Methodists. They have been growing as well, adding multiple congregations each year, most of whom have come from the United Methodist Church, though that's not always the case. So that's an exciting time for this. So they might go that way. They might stay independent. Some, as some of you will know, I've talked to two people who are part of the Foundry Network, Eric Huffman, and Shane Bishop. Uh, there's another large church in Mississippi that's a part of the Foundry Network, which has, uh, I think, a, a, still some really strong doctrinal convictions that holds them together. But nevertheless, they're, they're like a group that is coming and providing some structure and accountability for this emerging movement. I don't know what's going to happen for these various denominations, but I think it's an exciting moment. And so for those of you who are in the area who are in the Jackson area, I'll be at New Beginnings Madison Church, which is meeting at Holy Trinity Anglican Church. It's so kind of them to open up, which is on Bozeman Road this Sunday at six. So that group is coming together. Okay, so that's my little update on the GMC. And obviously, it's something that I'm interested in as we're serving students from there as well. But I want to give an update too on the Church of the Nazarene. Now, here's some things that happen. Now, I'm not as connected to this denomination, but I know many people who are in the Church of Nazarene and thankful for their witness. And some of you can look back to my interview with Jared Henry, Pastor Jared Henry. And then I had a conversation with Brian Powell on the conservative side, and then Tom Ord on the progressive side. And that was in part because there was this um, uh, conference. I, I, maybe they don't call it a conference, I'm sorry, but where they come together and they make their decisions uh, as a body, a voting body. And I think there's a lot of hope from that conference with the new general superintendents who are elected in a denomination. But I think one of the more apparent pieces of good news that came from an orthodox perspective, those who are holding to biblical orthodoxy uh, on the nature of God's revelation uh, through scriptures and that as that relates to people's stance on human sexuality. Um, I just, you can just find this by Googling, but I'm just going to show you, I'm just going to keep it pretty simple by showing you what I Googled um, here on the screen. Um, Selden D. Kelly, not somebody that I know. So I'm sorry to say like that's, I, I can't speak. I'd be glad to talk to him if he'd ever like to talk. Um, but just typing that in, you can see from the San Diego Union Tribune, hopefully you can follow along with me on the screen here, um, probably their main paper for that area, San Diego pastor, fire for same-sex marriage stance. Um, this is, I think this is where we are within all these denominations as a whole. Is that, well, they, they want me to pay and I'm not going to pay. So uh, you can see that one. Here's another, another uh, article talking about the same thing, Point Loma, Nazarene pastor convicted by church jury of favoring same-sex marriage, I, there was also a situation. And now I, I'll readily admit, we don't know the details here, but it seems that from just reading these articles that a um, that there were charges brought against this pastor. And let me just uh, share this one post here that will show in part because this pastor, uh, D, I'm sorry, I don't have his last name there, um, ended up D. Kelly, uh, wrote an article or a chapter in the book that Tom Ord edited with his daughter on why the Church of Nazarene should uh, change its stance on and its direction on in policy towards LGBTQ people. So anyways, that's something that's um, I, I, there was one of these articles, I want to see if I can find it that just shows a link to that book. Yeah, here you go. And I just say, you know, of course, we're 
thankful at Wesley Biblical Seminary that several of our alumni contributed to a volume that says, so it says why the church in Nazarene should be fully LGBTQ affirming. Um, uh, our, my colleagues, um, Dr. Matt Friedemann and Elijah Friedemann published a book uh, called Why the Nazarene Church is Right on Human Sexuality. Um, Brian Powell, who's on my podcast, contributed to that. So I thought that was a, uh, as a good sign. Now, here's what's really good uh, about this story. I just want to share this as quickly as I can. This shows what, I, what I've said earlier about the Salvation Army and other denominations. It's time for accountability or separation. And what we're seeing in the Church of Nazarene, if this trend continues, is true accountability. Now, I would want the very best for the D. Kelly here. Um, and at the same time, if he's going to articulate something that goes against what the church has affirmed and what the church has clearly articulated through their governing bodies, then they're not in the, they're not in the same organization anyways. So they have an opportunity now to separate. So I th I'm thankful to see what's happening in Church of Nazarene. Now, I'm, I know there's the Holiness Partnership, which I've had Jared Henry on to talk about some of those things. Really thankful for their leadership and the type of things they're doing. You might even see, I think you can find this little booklet online. Caleb Friedemann wrote a fuller response to this book. Um, so I encourage, I think it's called uh, The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints. Oh, forgive me. I should have had that one ready to go. But anyways... This is good. This is good news from the Church of Nazarene. And here's what my word is to these other denominations. Like, GMC, keep this up. You're articulating this clearly in your beliefs. And this was the problem in the United Methodist Church, is that everybody got together and voted to say this is who we are. People joined the denomination thinking this is who they are. They joined a movement that was a part of this, particularly ministers. And then there wasn't an accountability. Then a practicing lesbian bishop was elected you know, a, a half a dozen years ago. And then at the, this last... General Conference, similar things have happened. There hasn't been accountability put in place. And so it ceases to be the same entity when that those type of things happening. So ha have happened. So the Nazarene Church, I think, is taking a cue from what's happened in Methodism and other denominations as well. And there was an article that just came out recently in the UK. I'll post a link to this when in the kind of the podcast version of this podcast was indicating churches that have moved towards liberal theology in the UK are on the verge of dying. They even have had, this isn't necessarily coming from a conservative source at all, has indicated that there is a statistical study about when these churches will die. And so most of the mainline churches that have adopted a liberal theology, they predict will no longer exist in the 2030s and 20s and 40s. And they even say the same thing for the Church of England in the 2060s. So this is a, a fascinating piece of empirical research. That um, So I encourage you to go to my show notes to find a link to that when this comes out. I'm sorry, I don't have it in the live version as well. So good news from the Church of the Nazarene and the work they're doing. I know that my friends in the Church of Nazarene are positive about what's happening there. I'm going to share two. I'm gonna, uh, I talked to some folks in the uh, Wesleyan Church as well. And I don't know as much what's happening there a denominational perspective, but their schools, their institutions seem to be making a positive pivot as well. I've, I, don't, I don't have any specifics about Indiana Wesleyan, but it seems a new president is taking that sort of uh, harder line on orthodoxy. But I, the, another school that's connected to them is Houghton College. I'm not sure if it's Houghton University. Um, but for instance, here, uh, you might see this, this happened several months ago, and I just encourage you to encourage their, their president, um, 
So they, they came at it. Now, this is the New York Times. It's only so positive. Uh, looks at this in a very negative way. University fired two employees for including their pronouns in their emails. Now, the, the, I think the president and the school has come out to clarify you know, the that they aren't able to talk about the nature of these firings or what was involved there. But the, the people who were let go indicated that was part of it. But they came down with a clear line, and people disobeyed that. But also, the Houghton University has, um, at the same time, um, also eliminated uh, a kind of a, a segregating program on their campus that was, and here you can see former Houghton University employees. Um, so you can just Google that uh, to, to see what's happening at Houghton. And it was covered in Christianity Today in a way that I thought was not as helpful, almost like a hit piece. Uh, forgive me, like they were, well, you know, it, I think that's what it was, in, encouraging people to like maybe see more gray with the use of pronouns. And so they use this as an example. Nevertheless, I think it's really strong. It's a strong statement from this school about the nature of reality and what that means for the natural order in creation and for people to take that seriously, even in the way they handle correspondence. So um, I know other organizations are trying to even be clear about how you can sign your emails and that type of thing. But also at Houghton College, at the same time, I, I mentioned this, I teased it just a second ago, Houghton College also eliminated a multi-cultural uh, center where you had to seemingly. Now, again, I'm not the not a reporter here, uh, but this is just what I read in a few places. Seemingly, you had to be a minority to access those buildings or to be a part of it, and so that's why I said there was a sense of like a, a segregating presence. Well, they've closed that as well, and so I just say this is like. In general, this is a good move, and this is an institution of the Wesleyan Church. And there also seems to be some good church planning initiatives going on in Wesleyan Church. I've talked to several of my friends who serve in those deno that denomination as well. So there's some positive things happening there. Many people know that I am well-connected to the Salvation Army, served as a Salvation Army officer for 15 years. Um the this past summer and part of like even my own podcast this summer we had two positions the liberal and conservative position um from on uh thinking about the salvation army was in part getting ready for the event where a new general of the salvation army was elected this past um this past summer so the chief of the staff the international chief of the staff um uh lyndon buckingham and then his wife bronwyn for, forgive, forgive me if I'm saying that name wrong, uh, were elected as a, he was elected the International General of the Salvation Army, and he had pre previously served in the number two position for the Salvation Army. So here's where we, we don't really know uh, their perspective. This is, uh, some people think it's kind of funny. Here, here's just a picture of their um, their welcome meeting. Uh, he's appointed, you can see in this picture, American territorial leader, or they are uh, American leaders, the I cannot, he goes by name Dusty Hill, the Hills. Uh, they're serving now as an international chief of staff. And I think she's the world president of women's ministries or the, you know, some, something like that. Like, so they have, they have unique titles that are engaged there, but we don't quite know where things will be with the Salvation Army at this point. And so um, there's hope. There's like, if you were to watch their installation service, there's a lot of good things that are coming. I'm really excited that General Buckingham has already agreed to come on my podcast. So I'll be interviewing him in early November. I need to send my questions to his aide de camp here soon so that we 
get that all cleared up, but I'm looking forward to having him on, honestly, to give an opportunity, hopefully for there to be clarity on some of the pressing issues of our time and the mission that God's given the Salvation Army. It's a beautiful mission and one that I'm so thankful exists. And it's obviously where I was discipled. And so I, I'm hopeful that there'll be a consistent line drawn from their policies and doctrines. One thing that's unique, some of you might not know this, is Salvation Army, when you become a member, you become a soldier and you sign something called the Soldier's Covenant. And that is the document, that's the covenant that unites the entire Salvation Army. So everybody who is, serves as a pastor or officer and everybody who serves in a role as um, even just a local person is known as a soldier who's committed themselves to the nomination, not that I'm to the work of the Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in the world, to the glory of God the Father through the ministry of the Salvation Army, I want to make sure to get all that grammar correct, um, does so under the idea of these 11 articles of faith and then several ethical commitments that come as well, that come as a part of this covenant. So the things that have been articulated there clearly articulate the role of Scripture. And you might have heard me speaking in the past couple of months about the emphasis from Wesley Biblical Seminary of the Bible's authority using the word inerrancy. And I encourage you, if you want to hear me talk about that a little bit more, I've posted some podcasts of where, that I had with um, uh, Rick, Jeffrey Rickman in his plain spoken podcast talking about Wesley Biblical Seminary's perspective. But on that podcast, I shared that the Salvation Army's first article of faith is right in line with the classical inerrantist tradition that says we believe the scriptures of the Old New Testament were given by inspiration of God, and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. And some of those of you who have studied theology know that the maybe you know that the emphasis on divine rule is a, a something that was emphasized in the Reformation. This is to have commits us to the sola scriptura tradition of the of protestantism and then notice too that it says they only constitute the divine rule of christian faith and practice so there is and you can see some of our articles i've written if you go to my website about this like a, a hermeneutical process that's already alluded to in the articles of faith from the Salvation army from its very first art, first article which is not just an article about what the bible is but it's about divine revelation, how God has revealed himself and that he's revealed himself clearly through the scriptures. Okay, if, so the Salvation Army has articulated that belief clearly. It also, every Salvationist agrees that they'll uphold the sanctity of marriage and family life. And the only way to interpret that is in its understanding of what marriage has been and how it's defined throughout scripture and in natural theology. So that perspective and a host of other policies that have existed and have come from international headquarters over the last, I mean, throughout the history of the Salvation Army, but even over the last five years. So there's a lot of good movements that have come there. Here's the challenge for the Salvation Army. And here's a challenge for General Buckingham. And we'll see. We'll see where he is. Will there be consistent accountability applied? Um, will when somebody moves away, just like what's happened in the Nazarene Church, which I talked about a few minutes ago, will there be accountability? Will there be um, uh, when somebody publicly moves against the Salvation Army's stated beliefs? Will there be an opportunity for there to be clarity? So I'll just offer one thing, and and I don't I I'd be very interested in how the general handles this. He's just made his first series of appointments, and some I only know about some of those people, and I know so, I know I know probably like. Um, half of the people who have been received new appointments to become 
it's a, the equivalent of bishops and other denominations or territorial leaders. Um, uh, Ralph Buckowitz, uh, Colonel Ralph Buckowitz, will soon be Commissioner Ralph Buckowitz with his wife Susan, leading the Eastern Territory of the Salvation Army. Thrilled that they're going to be stepping into that position and thankful for the leadership theologically and organizationally that they have replied. I was a teenager when they were youth leaders and just delighted to, to know that they're going to be in that type of role. There's been a host of other positions. Now, here's what will be interesting. as and, and then there's a new territorial commander in the United Kingdom and Ireland territory. And it'll be really interesting to see if there are any changes that are brought. And I'll say, that, you know, there's nothing that a general could have done about this. But at his installation, a person got up front. It was held at the Regent Hall Corps, which is a famous corps. Oh, man, fascinating story from the 1880s, 18, 1882, when William Booth bought this. It was an ice rink, and so it's actually called uh, the rink, R-I-N-K, even though it's Reg, Regent Hall. It's on Oxford Street, very famous area, beautiful, kind of interesting building, two stories. They have a, have some classic music traditions that have been there, just a vibrant community that has a regular open air open air service, but they have taken progressive stance on human sexuality in the last six months, and they've kind of led the way seemingly on that. And it's interesting that the general's installation happened there. And it seems like, I don't know the details, but somebody from that core read scripture at the general's installation. And I think that that was the case. And it might have been a teenager, and they had a, a Salvation Army pen that wasn't a Salvation Army pen. Instead, it had a rainbow flag. And so this is something that I've talked about reg regularly on the podcast. Well, not whenever I brought up the Salvation Army and the challenges is like it, just like putting a rainbow flag in front of a core or identifying it generally suggests that you affirm the entire um, the panoply is the only word I can call the, the entire like spectrum of thought related to the sexual revolution. I mean, like accepting same sex marriage, L um, um, transgender acceptance um, and uh, kind of just moving toward the normalization of anything outside of the boundaries that scripture has laid and laid there for there to be marriage between one man and one woman and sexual activity to exist in that union. So that was disappointing to see that. Now, I don't think I, I highly doubt that this was a, a planned out thing. And if they would have known that that person would have come up with a rainbow flag pen, maybe they would have said something. I'm sure they don't want to have controversy and installation. So it will be interesting. Here's my point. Like, and it'll be interesting. I don't know if the general will allow me to ask a question like that. I'm hoping that there'll be a chance just to ask for clarity there. But it'll be interesting to see what happens under his leadership in the International Salvation Army. So if we're going to be, if we're going to be a part of an international movement that exists, it is important that that movement is unified on the nature of biblical revelation. And has God revealed himself clearly through the scripture of the Old New Testament? And is the Salvation Army united by these shared beliefs. So that's just a little sign what's happening there. So I, I hit several denominations. I mentioned briefly the Association of Independent Methodists and this exciting moment. I'll say too, another thing that happened was there was a new room conference last week. I was privileged to attend that event and thankful for the emphasis that's coming there. I think it's just a, a exciting time for there to be an openness to move the spirit, connecting what's happening there. And I think at this exciting Wesleyan moment. This isn't the moment that just like Methodism dies, by the way. This is the moment that Wesleyanism thrives. Like, and I think this happens across 
these denominations. And what I saw at New Room was the continuation of that idea. And so I encourage you to check out that conference. It was so good to see students there. I wanna make sure people know too, I'm gonna to show you about the, some of the resources that I have available that have just come out. It's been so great to hear from folks who are interested in uh, some of the resources I've shared lately. So if you go to courses on my website, andymillerthird.com, you can find um, Heaven and Other Destinations, A Biblical Journey Beyond This World. I think that I know at least a half dozen places are using this study right now. So if you go, come in, you click on that, you can get it for a small group or get it for a church. I have people who have done both and thankful for that. When you get on there, um, I, I even got a little picture of a dog. I do have a session, a, a section about rather not uh, our dogs will be in heaven. But here's what you can see. Um, what you do when you, you get this, you'll be able to click on, there's an introduction and then there's five different sessions and they're about a half an hour long each. This one, um, Jesus's descent to the realm of the dead, which is included in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus' defeat of hell. Um, sometimes it's called the harrowing of hell. It's just 24 minutes long, but the most, most of the others are around 30 minutes. And then they each have a discussion guide. So when you click on it, and then you can engage me in conversation, you can ask a question like, oh, I didn't understand this point. Then I'll get on and, and interact there. Then I also have these bonus sections as well. So we talk about heaven in 1 Corinthians 15, heaven in Romans 8, heaven in the Psalms, and then heaven in hymns. So that's been a real delight to put that together and to know people are accessing it. Then also my contender course is still there. Um, people are still using this. I know there's a group happening. Um, I went to a group Wednesday night um, that's using this. Shout out to Rachel Chu and her group that is using the contender study. So it's the same sort of thing that's available there. Um, resources that you can use to walk through this, like it's great for a Sunday school group or even for your own personal study. So those are things that are happening. And then also at amazon.com, uh, you can find my book, Contender, and I'm thankful for that, being out and people who have been using it. It's one of the things about I've always appreciated about publishing in general, and this is like I kind of look back to one of my mentors in music, Jim Kerno, who I was, I was a music composition major in college, and he would talk about just what a joy it was to have people playing his music all around the world, and you know, a lot of times he would hear from people, we played your piece today, or now people will take a screenshot. And I have 12 pieces published um, for brass bands and one for choir. And occasionally people send me a picture. It's kind of a delight. But I'll say like part of what's exciting to me about even putting these courses out there in the book is that, um, and I, I was able to, I've been able to participate via Zoom on a few uh, Bible study groups that are using that. I was at Venture Church um, with Nathan Doyle in the um, Akron Oh, no, it's not Akron, Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio area, and really and glad to have the opportunity to share with them. But just to know that God's taking these resources we put together and using them. And I kind of look back to my friend, Jim Kerno and his influence on my life to help me with that, um, to just see how taking the extra time to put these things together can be a blessing to other people. And that's what I hope this will be. So thanks for checking out the More to Story podcast. I would love it if you'd subscribe on YouTube and like uh, like us or whatever you need to do on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'd love to get people to review us there. I need some um, people to make some reviews on Amazon as well. Uh, that would be that would be fun for me. I do have two, um, if you're interested, uh, more to story mugs. So people can check in with me on that. You can find me at andymillerthird.com. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless you.